Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for First St. Charles United Methodist Church in downtown St. Charles, Missouri. We are so glad that you're here, and it's our prayer that you feel safe, welcome, and wanted in this space. If you're interested in finding out more about us or supporting our ministries, you can connect with us online at firststcharlesumc.org. But God raised him up, having released him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for him to have held it in his power. In the living of these words, we are made disciples of God. Glory be to God. At our farm home in Sullivan, Missouri, there is a dining room table crafted from some very fine pecan wood. It's at least as old as I am, which I know makes it an antique. It belonged to my parents, who had saved up for quite some time to purchase it. It's fitting that I should have inherited it. My name is, after all, on it. If you know right where to look, you'll find B-A-R-T etched into the otherwise fine wood. I remember the moment my dad saw my name scratched into it. Let's just say it wasn't a happy encounter. You wrote Bart on our good dining room table? What in God's name possessed you to do that? He was yelling at my younger brother who had done the dastardly deed. It was clear from the script that only a child who was just learning to write could be the culprit. A couple of years his senior, I had already mastered a steadier, clearer hand. My brother thought he was going to get me in trouble. Bart did it. He did it, he insisted. Dad wasn't buying any of it, not for a minute. I just stood in the background and grinned. On Easter, we see very clearly that God's name is all over this day. God did it. God clearly did it. It wasn't to get us in trouble. In fact, just the opposite. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. No other hand is strong enough or sure enough to write this story No other imagination could have come up with something this big, this bold, this unexpected, this outrageous. It is the best of reasons to just sit back and grin. Today, we cap off our latest sermon series with a look at the very first public witness to the resurrection, Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Because this is a sermon on that sermon. Consider it a twofer. You get two sermons for the price of one. Peter is preaching to people who are trying to get a handle on what all the Jesus talk was all about. Peter's first, and it's an important conclusion, is that God raised Jesus up. Easter is about God. It's all about what God does. 
No other power can explain it. It's not natural or expected. There's nothing normal or natural or predictable about it. It's unique in the history of the world. It interrupts the history of the world. It transforms the history of the world. God raised Jesus up, confirming the authenticity of His life, His teaching, His love, His faith, confirming all these things and affirming the relationship that was uniquely theirs. God raised Jesus up in the experience of hurting, stunned, doubting, and disbelieving disciples. God raised Jesus up, shining light into the darkest corners of all of creation. God raised Jesus up in defiance of tragedy and terror. God raised Jesus up in a victory over sin, evil, injustice, suffering, and even death. God raised Jesus up in the biggest blow ever to empires everywhere. God raised Jesus up, breaking through the systems of lies, unmasking the world's idols in favor of a dangerously loving life. God raised Jesus up with the promise that persuades us that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God raised Jesus up in a foretaste of what will be the final transformation of the world in glory, God raised Jesus up for you and for me. There is only one name to put to this day. Because of it, God's name is the name that is above every name. It is God's name that is all over this day. It wasn't anything that Jesus did for Himself. It was utterly and completely the act of the One whom Jesus called Father. Later, there would come Christians who would say that the Son was sent to His death by the Father. Did they think through what they were saying about the nature of God? Did they think through the deification and glorification of violence and in institutionalizing of retributive justice? Or were they just parroting the legalisms of a sacrificial system that they had known in temple worship? Before they could proffer that possibility, we have Peter proclaiming that the Son was given life by the Father. It wasn't the wrathful hand of retributive justice. It was the mercy of restorative justice. It wasn't anything Jesus did or could do for Himself. It was grace. The grace that is the very heart of God and that we so desperately need to know. God raised Jesus up Revealing a heart that is given not for violence, but for life. It is a heart given over to grace, sola gratia, as the Reformers affirmed, grace 
and grace alone with all God's heart. God raised Jesus up for life. It was impossible, Peter concludes, for him to be held in its power. There are many who live resigned to the probable. We've known the vagaries and vicissitudes and viciousness of a life that doesn't go as planned. How can we ever plan? We felt control slip from our grasp as readily as water on a hot summer day. We're like that understandable character in the children's classic. Lovely day, isn't it? Winnie the Pooh asked. Eeyore responds in Eeyore fashion. If it is a good morning, which I doubt, don't worry about me, he said. Go and enjoy yourself. I'll stay here and be miserable. Many are we who live resigned to the probable. Have you fallen into the trap of the probable? Or can you imagine the possible? One of my heroes, Fred Craddock, tells this story from his Appalachian boyhood. One summer night, he and his father were out in the backyard. Fred was lying on his back looking up at the stars. His father taking the moment to teach his son and giving him the spiritual gift of the possible said, Son, how far can you think? I don't know. What do you mean? Just think as far as you can think up toward the stars. Craddock says, I screwed my imagination down and said, I'm thinking as far as I can. His father said, well, in your mind, drive down a stake out there now. Have you driven down the stake? That's how far you can think. The boy said, yes, sir. His father said, now, what's on the other side of the stake? Fred said, well, there's more sky. His father said, move your stake. Craddock says he and his father spent the evening moving the stake further and further outward. Some of us have been fortunate to learn the spiritual gift of possibility. Someone has taught us, giving us the gift of thinking further and further beyond the boundaries to a farther place or a deeper place than we had yet seen. It's what parents and churches want to help their children experience. It's what all good teachers keep telling us. Move your stake. Sometimes, it's what crises do to us too. Something terrible happens and forces us beyond old assumptions and certainties. But there doesn't have to come a crisis or a teacher. Out of nowhere, it can come the quickening suspicion that there is more for us to desire and know and to do now if we'll have it. 
the sense that it is time and past time for taller dreams and a larger scope of concern. Are there those among us who have been pushed to it, dreamed of it, moving our old boundaries of understanding and commitment? It may be possible that this is the never-ending project of our lives. We're here to grow up. And the growing is to never stop. We've each been given an invitation to spend our years growing in character, compassion, curiosity, generosity, gratitude, friendship, wisdom, and commitment to knowing and living and loving more of the truth. Imagine that you're looking at the sky and somewhere out there driving down a stake at the limits of what you can think, who you can be, how much you can love, or even who you can love. What's on the other side? Move your stake. Move it again. Move it yet again. Then again, with Jesus, there is no stake. None whatsoever. In Him, there's not just the probable or even the possible. For Him, nothing is impossible. It's what the angel said of God at Jesus' birth. For nothing will be impossible with God. For Jesus, nothing is impossible. And it's one thing to get our heads around this. Isn't it another altogether to get our hearts around it? What might it look like to live with no stake, no limits, no resignation to the probable or restrictions on the possible? What might it look like to live treating others without imposing the limits of prejudice and judgment? What might it look like to live with no stake marking off what they might mean to us or we might mean to them. What might it look like to act not with the wrathful hand of retributive justice, but with a heart of restorative justice? What might it look like to live leaning into the impossible? It would look like grace. The grace of God's name written all over this day. And, here's the deal. In the living of the impossible, others will hear a very certain sermon. A desperately needful word for them that you will know comes to them as a sermon on a sermon. Call it a threefer. Happy Easter.